Welcome everyone to VentureCast Win From Within. I am your host, Vikas Raj of Axion Venture Lab. As you all know and repeat to yourselves frequently, Axion Venture Lab is a global early stage investor focused on financial technology and financial inclusion. And in this season of VentureCast, we are focused on insights from Venture Lab's latest white paper called Win From Within. And the paper looks at how fintech startups are creating real value for their existing customers from day one by designing with customers in mind, by driving usage, by evolving product offerings over time. Over the last two episodes, we've heard from CEOs of companies about their stories and strategies, and I'm very excited to introduce this week's guest, Eli Pollock. Eli is CEO and co-founder of Apollo Agriculture, which is helping farmers in Kenya improve their productivity and grow their incomes. Apollo is one of Venture Lab's portfolio companies. Eli, thank you very much for joining us today. It's fantastic to be here because thanks for inviting me on. So Eli, let's start just by hearing a little bit about Apollo. How does it work? Who are your customers? Our business is helping small scale farmers make more money. And so like you said, that starts for us with helping them produce more. We aim to help farmers make more money by servicing all their needs. So we provide a bundled package that includes everything they need to succeed, starting with the farm inputs they put in the ground, continuing on to the advice they need, protecting them with insurance and then financing the full bundle so they can pay up front and then repay Apollo after they realize their return come harvest. Got it. I want to separate that a little bit. Tell us a little bit about the farmers that you're serving. Maybe give us like an example profile of your typical customer. Absolutely. So our average customer is about 50 years of age, uh, farms 1.2 acres. We serve customers from sort of Eastern portions of Kenya, all the way out to Western Kenya and the lake. It's about half men, half women, and farming is their primary source of income. So typically, we find that our customers farm farm maize is their primary staple crop. Maize is the primary staple crop for both production and consumption in Kenya. That sort of makes up our our, our typical customer. So you sort of described a suite of products that you provide to your customers. The core one of which is is finance. Why aren't banks doing that? Banks typically are lenders. Why aren't they providing finance to these farmers? It's a great question and, you know, a, a complex and, and layered answer. You know, I'd say at a, at a starting point, you know, one of the really interesting things about ag in East Africa, where we operate is that, so I used to work in agri-tech in the U.S. And there, you know, everything was about how do we help the this farmer who's already producing a huge amount sort of squeeze the last bit of yield out um, from what's already an extremely optimized agricultural system, despite the, the many challenges that it has. In contrast to the environments where, where we're operating in, we actually have a good sense for the tools that most farmers need to significantly increase their incomes. And the challenge is really that farmers tend to be extremely rural, extremely fragmented as a group and, 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 and quite small scale. And what that means in practice is that if you're operating a conventional sort of people and paper type of business model, as really almost all banks do, um, then two challenges arise. The first is extremely high cost of customer acquisition and servicing. You know, it's just that much more expensive to get to know someone who lives 20 kilometers from the nearest tarmac road than it is to get to know a, a customer in, you know, in, in a city. And, and, and then on the flip side, because farms are small, you have relatively low customer lifetime values. You know, it takes 2,000 customers in the areas where we're operating in to achieve the same level of revenue, selling seed or fertilizer or making a loan to finance those purchases as it would in sort of central Iowa or elsewhere in the United States. And so 
I think that makes it foundationally challenging for banks to serve these customers. And then on top of that, it tends to be the case that farmers need more than just financing to really increase their production. And so that also makes it challenging for banks. So what is Apollo doing to deal with that sort of CAC customer acquisition cost on CLV issue? How do you use technology and just innovation to get over those humps? So we've really focused on investing in two primary areas of technology that we think help solve the problems that I discussed. And so the first is, and it really focuses in on this acquisition and servicing cost issue, is thinking about how do we use technology? And in many cases, it's relatively pedestrian technology compared to you know, what some people might think to take each step in our customer life cycle from how we acquire a customer to how we gather the data that's needed to underwrite a loan, to how we make a credit decision, to how we physically distribute the products and ultimately how we guide the farmer with advice and either completely automate it or for certain things that can't be automated. I mean, I can't SMS you a bag of fertilizer from here in Nairobi to you in DC. We've built technology around the people and systems to make them as efficient and scalable as possible. And so this is really all about building technology that sort of sits at that intersection between tech and operational process and using that to automate what we can and drive acquisition and servicing costs to a level where we can work with a half acre farmer or a one acre farmer and, and, and have a real commercial opportunity there. The other side of the spectrum comes in in terms of thinking about how do we get comfortable offering financing. Small scale farmers are a group that have historically been seen as quite risky. And part of that's because there's just not much data available about them. And so in addition to our work to drive down acquisition and servicing costs using technology, we're also really focused on thinking about how do we build a fundamentally richer picture of our customers' lives using data. So everything from processing satellite data to generate insight, to gathering information from our customers directly or making observations about their behavior and building that together to paint what we think is a fundamentally richer picture that we can use to train machine learning models that assess credit risk. Between those two areas, that really focuses in on that kind of CAC and, and overall profitability opportunity side of the equation. Happy to share more on the sort of LTV side of the equation as well, since I think it's a system where you really do need to work on both to get to a sustainable and growing business. Let's come back to that LTV question because it's it's also sort of core to, to win from within. But I got to ask, you're describing a sort of hybrid offline online acquisition and engagement business. You're describing a credit business. COVID must have had dramatic impact on portfolio and on ability to continue to engage and acquire customers. Can you talk a little bit about how specifically COVID has impacted your business and how you've responded? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think there isn't much that COVID hasn't touched over the last months and, yeah. and certainly the business is no exception. I think one of the things though, when we think back to late February and early March, when we were really becoming aware of this as an issue and starting to prepare, you know, you mentioned when we were speaking earlier, you know, about certain companies that are, that are legitimately perhaps counter-cyclical, right? Zoom stock sometimes goes up when people get more afraid of coronavirus. And, and, and we certainly didn't design our business with the intention of being, you know, robust to a massive public health crisis, but it turns out that a lot of the decisions that we made along the way to try and keep human beings out of the process as much as possible, you know, to use technology where we could to automate actually turned out to position us really, really well when we did need to go to a much more entirely remote model. And, and that means things like not acquiring customers through large group meetings and really focusing in on radio or one-to-one -one customer referrals that can be done safely at distance, but also things like our ability to onboard customers via a call center. 
in March, we had to make the decision when they were considering sort of a pretty significant lockdown in Nairobi to take our entire 120 person call center remote. And we had about a week to get it done before when we worried that that lockdown might go into effect. And so we were fortunate to be able to basically flip the switch on doing that and, and, and in a matter of a week, take it entirely remote. We actually had very, very little disruption in terms of the sort of continuity of our business as a result of COVID. And, and I mean, I think some of that was luck, but a lot of that had to do with the reality that a, a model that is sort of digital first, even if, as you acknowledged, it's digital first with a heavy operational component, was more robust than other models to, to coronavirus. So let's go back to this LTV question. So in the, in the paper and went from within, it's clear that you are thinking about and designing with your customers' needs in mind. And what I found interesting is that you're not just thinking about those needs as static, but how they might vary during the season or over the course of different seasons. Uh, and we talked about this in the paper as a pathway of products that grow, that grow with, that they make the products relevant for a customer for where they are at a given moment of time. So can you share a little bit more about your thinking there? Why was that important for you to think about? What does that pathway look like for an Apollo customer? Absolutely. So what we like to talk about internally is a pathway from subsistence to commercial farming or farming as a business. And depending on who's listening to this podcast, they might have a specific idea in mind of what they mean by commercial farming. And I'm not talking about that farmer farming 5,000 acres in central Iowa with a million dollar combine harvester, but I'm talking about a farmer who's able to farm in a way that, that provides a true pathway into a more resilient middle-class lifestyle. And so we very deliberately started with a product focused on maize. And that's not because we think that maize is necessarily the best product. In fact, it has a lot of different challenges. It does have one pretty profound advantage. That's that nearly every farmer already plants and eats it, particularly as a company coming in with a fairly new and different model. You know, our model might sound, like you said, sort of techie slash in person compared to a lot of the more entirely digital models out there. But, you know, our average customer is 50 years of age. They don't use a smartphone. This is a very digital product for a relatively analog customer base. And so we decided strategically that by starting with a product like Maze that really met the customer where they were and having a value proposition that was much more like, because you plant Maze today, how would you like to make more money planting Maze? That would position us most strongly as a starting point. And we feel like our Maze product delivers a terrific amount of value. But ultimately, when we come back to this idea of farming for subsistence to farming as a business or commercial farming, we think that the opportunities for our customers as well as for Apollo are, are just that much larger. You know, there's shifting towards a more diversified portfolio of higher profitability crops. There's accessing tools like irrigation that can drive down risk and increase profitability. You know, there's accessing better markets. And over time, there's even accessing more land. Since the difference between farming, you know, one acre and farming five is just absolutely enormous when you think about top line potential for the, for the customer. And so as we go out and acquire customers and get to know them better, there's a huge opportunity to partner more deeply with them and both support them to earn more and then also increase the value that Apollo can gain from that relationship. Got it. You know, we've had the good fortune of seeing you and seeing Apollo since the very beginning of your journey. And you've scaled the business a lot since those early days, reaching more and more customers, expanding the team. As you continue to raise money, how do you balance the sort of pressure to continue to scale with this sort of customer-wise profitability? Great question. So we actually pretty explicitly think about scale on two independent axes. So we think about horizontal scale, and that's that sort of the more classic scale that you're alluding to in terms of rapidly growing numbers. And so that's expanding across Kenya, increasing density in the areas where we're operating in, soon expanding new countries. And that's obviously a critical part of our growth strategy, since 
ultimately, this is a market where we need to bring tons of customers onto the Apollo platform in order to succeed. But we also very explicitly think about what we describe as vertical scale and think about how do we work with our, you know, our customers to not only say double their maize production, but also really to go deeper um, into higher profitability products for them and products that increase the size of the potential pie for Apollo. We've worked really hard with, with our investors to understand that both are key elements of scale, and that there's actually a really nice virtuous cycle between continuing to drive horizontal scale, which increases the size of the overall opportunity, but then also really continuing to think about, you know, how do we understand which customers are going to be a great fit for, say, just as a random example, you know, transitioning from growing complete maize to half maize, half potatoes. So that really expands on, on the opportunity for the customer as well as the ultimate lifetime value for Apollo. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like long-term? You're a customer-centric company. You've got a highly underserved customer. How do you see your offering continuing to evolve? What do you think Apollo is going to look like, at least in terms of offerings in three, five years? It's a great question. And I think, you know, there's a constant sort of natural tension there in our business model in that just if you've even heard the 15 minutes of this podcast, it's probably obvious that we already do a lot, right? right? We acquire the customers, we underwrite the loans, we today provide the capital you know, with debt raised on our balance sheet, we are engaged in the physical distribution of the products, we provide advice, we collect, I mean, that's already a lot. One of the things that we're constantly trying to think about is balancing between the horizontal scale and continued investments in that sort of baseline infrastructure that I just described that's needed to support growing from 8,000 to 25,000 to 100,000 to a million customers and investment in what we need to do to continue to build out that pathway or that portfolio of products that you described that helps take a farmer from farming for subsistence to farming as a business. And so, you know, I don't think there's a, a sort of magic answer. I think that we sort of make trade-offs month by month or quarter by quarter in terms of what we're focusing on. They tend to be tough trade-offs because even as we raise capital, and we've obviously been incredibly fortunate to have a great set of partners, you know, starting with Axion Venture Lab and expanding from there, but we're always resource constrained. The market is challenging. And especially when we're doing more, I mean, we think we're the most capital efficient version of a business that can work doing what we do, but it isn't the platonic ideal of tech-driven scalability. I mean, there's real investment that has to happen. And so I think it's tricky. There are tons of opportunities. I mean, our, our agronomy team has a huge list of new products that they'd want to launch. And we're constantly having to make trade-offs between saying to focus in on the robustness of our sort of foundational maize product versus to continue our experimentation with new products. It's a fun challenge, but a real one. And so my hope is in five years or something, we're able to sit back and say, okay, not sit back, but maybe lean forward and say, we understand that out of a given cohort of 100,000 customers, 40% are going to be great maize farmers, and that's really where they're going to be happy ending up. 20% are going to be a great fit for this product, and the remainder are going to be a great fit for this sort of pathway of products. But that's obviously going to take time to build out. And the thing about agriculture is that we do have to wait for the crop to grow, the rains to come, the harvest to happen. And so thinking about how to iterate faster is sort of a constant area of focus for us, but a, a real challenge, particularly when thinking about some of these longer-term product investment decisions. Yeah. Thank you for that venture lab plug, by the way. I just, just Venmoed you 20, 20 bucks. I just Venmoed you a bag of seed. Let me actually take that question from the company perspective as just a final or parting thought here. What about the vision for Apollo in five years? As you continue to learn more about customers, but also think about yourself in the broader sort of fintech and agri tech, 
ecosystem in, in East Africa and throughout Africa. What do you want Apollo to look like in the long term? Yeah, it's a great and it's an important question. I'd say that I see our fundamental identity as an agriculture company that helps farmers make more money. And the thing about the market, though, is that financing is the enabler that makes it possible. So when I think about that, sometimes I find it hard to, to kind of come to the sort of, you know, here's the generalized long-term vision, but some sort of thoughts towards that direction. It all comes from this notion that business is helping farmers make more money and that finance enables that. And so we have a ton of customers now and, you know, we could have opportunities to sell them other financial products. And that is an interesting opportunity, but I think we're much more likely to stay sort of relentlessly focused on helping farmers increase the income on their farm and using finance as a core enabler to make that possible by allowing for affordability of increasingly significant investments that drive increasingly high returns for our customers. And so I'm hopeful that Apollo looks like the farmer's trusted provider of agricultural products and provider of guidance, almost like a boutique merchant bank for a small scale farmer versus somebody who's just providing the capital. I think my sense is that over time, capital tends to commoditize, but the trust that we can build in terms of a relationship where the farmer trusts us to deliver value in, in agriculture and then trusts us to advise them on how to continue to make more money, I think is really sticky. Terrific. Let's end it there. Eli, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us. That was really interesting and instructive, I think, for others that are thinking about these issues. Thanks to all of our listeners. You can find the Win From Within paper on axion.org. It'll also be linked in the podcast notes. Thanks, Eli. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, super fun to talk.